0: Acts chapter 9. By the way, Brother Dave, um, the Bible I grabbed this morning is the New International Version. So if you mash that button on your thing, I do believe we've got the New International Version, the NIV, uh, up there uh, for the overhead. We're going to be in chapter 9 of Acts. And um, remember, last week we spoke about, so, and in context, uh, Saul had a reputation for being a persecutor of the church. Saul was a good Jew. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was well-educated. He was uh, dotting all his I's and crossing all his T's according to his Jewish convictions. In so doing, he was in an effort to stomp out this heresy called the way. People who were believing in this Jesus who claimed to be God or claimed to be like God claimed to have risen from the dead and and he could see that this was a Saul could see that this was a wildfire that was growing and and needed to be stomped out so Saul was breathing murderous threats against all these people of the way and he was on his way having garnered permission from the uh, uh, religious religious authorities to actually capture some of these Christians like wild animals and carry them back to Jerusalem and and uh, have them tried and possibly be put to death as Stephen was, or at least uh, beaten and put in jail. And so while he was way on his way to Damascus, uh, he had an encounter with the Lord, and uh, this got his attention. He was blinded, saw Saul wired up, persecuting me, who are you? I am Christ. Oh, wow. And then he didn't eat or drink for a couple of days, Ananias came and prayed for him, and that was last week's lesson. Now this just happened, so he's just regained his sight, and... Uh, And we're going to pick up today in verse 19. So uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 19. And after Saul was taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I just want to stall here for a second on this verse, and, and, and I want us to see something. Uh, that we do well to notice. Notice how rapidly in Damascus the believers accepted this convert named Saul. That's the first point I want you to think about. How rapidly, indeed immediately, the church accepted this new, quote, member. Believers in the church in, and I used to the word church loosely. I'm not talking about this kind of church. I'm talking about the, the body of Christ. Believers in Damascus, and maybe they did have a church affiliation, you know, where they gathered all up uh, together. Maybe they had two or three. Uh, we're not told. We don't know. But believers had every reason to put this character Saul from Jerusalem on probation. Amen? I mean, who is this guy? He was just last week on his way up here fired up to catch to capture us and to carry us back to Jerusalem, and now he's supposedly saved? Well, I don't think so. I think we ought to put him on some sort of probation. Let me tell you, the first thing I want you to think about is that when someone who was wild and crazy in the world comes to an altar and surrenders his life to God and gets saved, it is not necessary for us to put him on a probationary period. He is completely as saved as as you are. You might be tempted to think, I don't know, I think we should keep an eye on him. I think we should, he was a wild guy, he drank an awfully lot, or he did this, or he did that. Uh, The first thing I want you to notice is that these new Christians in Damascus had a reason to want to put him on probation, but didn't do it not for a second. They completely and uh, immediately embraced him. As a brother, in our verse, we see Saul eating and staying with the believers. He was living with him. He didn't go out and get a hotel. Whoever he was staying with at this uh, street called Straight, as I remember, in someone's house was it Justin's house? What somebody's house? Sir. It's in the in the uh, when he was Judas. Judas. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. But he was staying with a brother and uh, hanging out with the believers people who less than a week prior he was hunting. Here's the point. Christianity is less like a group of friends. Christianity is less like a group of friends and more like an extended family. Let me explain. You have the prerogative of what friends you keep. Amen? If you don't have chemistry between someone, you don't keep them as a friend. If they're ugly to you, you don't keep them as a friend. If they tend to do you dirty, you don't keep them as a friend. The people who are nice to you, the people who are helpful to you, the people that you uh, can communicate freely with, you keep them as friends. Okay? So our circle of friends are uh, are, uh, our choice. I choose to be your friend. You you reciprocate and choose to be my friend. And I'm thankful I've got friends. But in the family of God, you see, and this is the point I want to make about Saul, who just last week was breathing murderous threats against them, wanting to carry them off to Jerusalem, have them beaten or even killed, was now a brother in Christ. We don't choose who our brothers and sisters in Christ are like we choose our friends. And I think the devil plays havoc in the church by trying to get us to pick and choose uh, people whom we're cordial with and whom we're not. When someone's a brother or or sister in Christ, we are cordial with them. It's just like family. You know, uh, I've got, I'm pretty blessed with my family, but I've got a couple people in the family that are kind of weird and difficult, and they might be right now talking to another group of people and be thinking of me, that I'm weird and difficult to get along, but we're family. So guess what? We don't have options. Your sisters, your sisters, your sister. Your brothers, your brothers, your brother. Your cousins, your cousins, your cousins. You're kin to them. Well, guess what? In the family of God, you are unlike your circle of friends that you can be picky and choosy about. When someone is a brother or sister in Christ, though they may be ornery, though they may be difficult, though they be whatever, nevertheless, as Saul was spending the first few days of his newfound life in the house of people who probably would have thought that he should be on probation, would have thought that he should have to prove himself, would have thought that, is he for real? Because they treated him like he was part part of their family. So you can and do choose your friends, but you were born into your family. And so it is you were born into the kingdom of God. Several times in the New Testament we read about being members of one another being members of one another. I could look out and pick anybody. I picked Faye, Sister Faye this morning. Uh, We are members of one another. Here's what I mean by that. I belong, as a Christian, I belong to Sister Faye and she belongs to me. What does that mean? That means that if, in as much as we're Christians and we're a Christian family and we're members of one another, that when she has an issue, uh, it, it has to affect me. And when I have an issue, it has to affect her. We're not just into, you know, we're not just, uh, and, this, and this is, uh, our, in our culture, how Satan has allowed things to get a little complicated because even though we're so uh, uh, saturated with people, how there's so many people, we're still a very lonely culture. We insulate ourselves from each other. Oh, I don't want to bother them with that. I this doesn't need to be anybody else's problem. I'll just, I'll just handle this myself. This is not God's design that you just handle it yourself. God's design is that when one person weeps, other people weep with them. When one person rejoices, other people rejoice with them. So the responsibility comes in two halves here. The first half is uh, when I've got an issue and it's heavy for me, and I'm picking on me and Sister Faye this morning, I have the responsibility to make sure I'm not selfish with whatever it is that I'm struggling with, but that I'm willing to share that with Sister Faye and you, and your neighbor that you're sitting near, and whomever else in the Christian community that I'm knit into. So that's the first half, that I have to be willing to be open with with other people about maybe something that's... And I don't know why we don't share more. Maybe it's embarrassment, maybe it's self-sufficiency. Well, I can just handle it myself or whatever. But we have to be willing to be open and share our vulnerabilities and our hurts and our weaknesses. And the second thing, the other half of it is that when someone shares their vulnerability or weakness, rather than judging or tisk tisk or, or, oh, isn't that a shame, we have to be willing to put our shoulder under the load of that person and share it with them. And, you know, it says, weep with those who weep and actually allow some of the energy that that person is bearing up under in that moment to be put on your shoulders as well. Just like you would do if it was a real brother or sister with whom you had a good relationship. I'm mindful that some brothers and sisters, you know, you don't have the greatest relationship with. But just like it would be if your brother called and said, blah, 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 and it was a terrible thing. Your heart would be touched with that. You know, as, as several times during the day as there was a pause and your, your mind would wander back and you'd lift him again up to the Lord in prayer. And remember, Lord, my brother, and how he's struggling with it would It would be on you. And so it is that we, members one of another, uh, you know, your needs should be my needs. We're responsible to and, and for each other. If you suffer, uh, I suffer. Uh, you know, Members one of another, it says that two or three times in the New Testament. Another, another way it puts the same idea is we're all members of the same body. So let's now shift and make it less be in the sort of hot seat here. So let's say less has got an issue that we're, that we become knowing about. And it's less's struggle. It's not mine. I don't have to lose sleep about it, but you know, I'm quite concerned about it. And it's like this. Have you ever, like, usually happens when you're playing basketball, jammed a finger, Okay. Or how about get up at night and head to the bathroom or the kitchen or wherever you go at night and stub your toe real good. Maybe your pinky toe gets all whacked out and bent backwards or your big toe gets set right back in. You know, when you stop and think about it, I weigh 200 pounds. What's my pinky toe weigh? Even an ounce? I don't know. I've never weighed it. But, you know, not much compared to the whole. And yet one pinky toe can get this whole body's attention. To where this whole body is limping a little, favoring it, making sure, you know, and and so it is with us. When we're members all of one body, when one person's suffering, the whole body is is mindful of that uh, situation. We are mutual siblings one of another. Paul says it this way, that there's neither slave nor master, male nor female, uh, Jew nor. Uh, nor, nor uh, Gentile. So even though Saul was brand new to the faith, uh, even though he came from such an anti-Christian uh, background, yet he was invited to the cookouts of verse 19. He was, he was welcomed right away uh, in, into the group. So what's the challenge we take from this verse? Two, two challenges come to mind. First, every person given to Christ is our sibling. He belongs to you, and you belong to him, and you need to accept him as such. And trust me, with people in this room right now, as I look around, that's not hard work. But the day may come that in in your church, someone may come in and it is hard work. I can think of two examples, and I know you're probably upset at me for actually thinking of examples. Obviously, I'm not gonna share the details, but I just wanna let you know that this happens. Where, let me get closer so I can whisper. It is hard work to love these two different people. It's real hard work. I'm actually thinking of, and you wouldn't be able to pry the names out of my mouth, but I'm thinking of two people from a church family or families that I've been involved with, and it's extra credit work, hard work. It's hard work Juan and I would have a potluck at the house. You know, just some New Year's Eve thing. Not a real official church thing, but just some thing. Well, let's invite Bruce and Debbie and Gary and Cindy and, and uh, Brian and Debbie and, and what, about, what about that one? Ooh. This is going to be a fun time. We don't want... That person's a drag. That person takes the air out of the room. I'm thinking of real concrete reasons why it doesn't make sense to invite that person. But yet the Lord would have my heart and say, you know what? He's my brother. And I got one each. A boy, a guy, a male, and a female. And like I said, I want to whisper it because I'm a little embarrassed about it. But it's the truth. And if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. There's folk that you just... It's... you know what? I'll teach you this. I hope you don't hate preachers for it. Preachers actually have an expression for these people. Do you know what it is? It's EGR. They call them EGRs. It's a, oh, no, she's going to write it down. Great. I've given a, it's, like the, it's like the magician on TV that used to wear his mask, you know, and you, he let out the secrets because he didn't... You know, preachers don't want me to tell you about EGRs. Extra grace required. It just... You know, it's the ex- oh, it's true. You preachers everywhere know about EGRs. Yeah, extra grace required. They're people that just are on your last nerve all the time. Well, let me tell you something. The sermon is about EGRs. Incl- I mean, it's not about them, but it includes EGRs. You, they are your sibling in Christ. And when we- so we're playing in that New Year's Eve thing. Guess what? Mr. Jones the guy that we would have rather stayed home alone that night, he got his invitation, and it was just as sincere. My fingers were crossed that he already had other plans. I'm telling the truth. But he was just as invited as uh, the other people were. Because that's what's uh, expected of me, and it's what's expected of uh, you as as well. Um, I, I want to move, move on... Um, to verses 20 through 25 here. At once he and Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take his prisoners, uh, us, excuse me, to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So part B of this morning's uh, message comes from this text. Just as uh, a week earlier the church was nervous about Saul, the Jews a week earlier were appreciative, were enthusiastic. They approved of his mission. The Jews agreed with him that this wildfire called the way, these people that are growing in number, and, and we don't understand them, and they're not like us, They needed to be stomped out and go, Saul, get her done, uh, Saul. So just as as a week earlier the church was nervous about Saul, the Jews were approving of Saul and his mission. How in the course of just a few days the tables have turned? But notice, last week nobody hated Saul. The Christians were nervous about him. But I hope they didn't hate him. It's a hard thing to not hate, I guess, when you know someone's coming uh, and maybe going to knock on your door and carry you off and put you in jail or worse. But there's no talk of uh, anybody hating him. Scared of him, yeah, but not hating him. And last week, nobody was trying to kill him. Last week, Saul was just on a mission, and nobody was hating, and nobody was trying to kill him. Last week, was, Saul was not a believer in Christ, and things were going pretty okay for him. Amen? Last week, he wasn't a believer and things were going okay for him. Maybe you see where we're headed. This week, uh, he's repented. He's been baptized. He's confessed Christ as Lord of his life. He's preaching. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he, he's got it straight in his head and in his heart. He's joined the precious family of God. And what? Verse 23, the Jews conspired to kill him. Jesus warned us of this. Uh, you might want to turn, and maybe uh, you can beat me to the table there. Uh, John chapter 15, um, verses 18, 19, and 20. 15, verses 18, 19, and 20. Jesus taught us that this, uh, this is going to be a struggle for us, this idea that when we get saved, we're, we're, we're stepping into a bee's nest of, it's not all going to turn into lovey-dovey. What I'm doing this morning is I'm going to teach a lesson. I'm going to teach a part of a lesson that is a reality check. Uh, there's a lot of folk, and I'm glad they are, preaching really positive, build you up, make you feel good messages. And I need more make you feel good messages. There's a guy on TV with a smile this big, and he always makes me feel good when he preaches, and so I appreciate him. And there's a lot of preachers that really make you feel good. But let me tell you something. There's something called the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God includes cautions where there has to be cautions and reality checks where there has to be reality checks. And so this morning there's a bit of a reality check, and Jesus teaches the reality check right here. He's not trying to increase his viewership and his ratings and his Nielsen ratings and and all that. He's just given a a reality check in John 15. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Listen, being a Christian requires of you that you develop thick skin. This is the second part of the message today. I really want you to get it. If you want to be in this Christian gang of siblings, you're going to need to develop thick skin. I want to digress for just a minute. I'll try not to stay here long because it's nothing I've prepared to say. I have noticed over the past 20 years a huge spike in people's offendability. Offendability. People are offended. They've got they've got skin so thin, see-through skin. I mean, it's you do anything, you just make it make any kind of suggestion. Oh, I'm offended. Oh, I'm offended. Pastors, uh, not me. You're good to me, but I'm telling you, in general, pastors have it wrong. They're just offended. People are offended every Sunday. They're offended, and they call up, and they let you know. Remember the first time I offended someone? I'm only telling you because it's a cute story, and I'm digressing, so I can tell a cute story. I'm digressing. So they threw me down. For the very first part, i am in the ministry for about two months or three months. and I don't, You don't know what you're doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. It's been 25 years. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm on there for two months, graduated Bible school, thought I was you know, God's gift, to and you realize just that they don't teach you anything that you need to know in Bible school. So they say, go deal with the children in children's church because the children's church guy isn't here today. Okay. So uh, here I got the gang of kids in children's church, and we're going to sing songs. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then we're making up other verses. He's got the big, strong daddies in his hands. He's got the bitty, bitty babies in his hands. Okay. And I'm not thinking, because I'm how old am I, 25 years old? So I'm not thinking. And so uh, I'm all about these kids enjoying themselves. And if we're going to sing songs, you've got the big, strong dads, got the bitty, bitty babies, got the big, fat mamas in it. Oh, and the kids love that verse, so we sang it twice. <laughs> I didn't think anything more of it. It was just a fun song to be singing with the kids. My phone began to ring. Shortly after lunch that day, I had offended. I had offended some people, and that was my first experience with having to learn to be careful about what you say. And that might have been poor, poor judgment on my part. I'm willing to concede that. But another time, I'm going to preach this in a whole, a, a whole sermon. Don't be a Don't be so easily offended. It wrecks your life if you're always offended. Just don't be offended. Refuse to be offended. The the devil will make hay in your life to the degree that you're so easily offended. Don't be so offendable. I mean, we live in our whole culture now with this whole political correctness. I could really just keep going here, and for time's sake, I won't, but let let me try to get back out of it by just referring to our culture. Our culture in general, you're heaven help the politicians you can't say anything without somebody just trying to be offended about something i'm thinking about this guy kathy a few weeks ago the big wheel of uh, chick-fil-a all he said was he believed in natural marriage the way his bible told him he wasn't trying to preach or grab someone on the button and trying to get him to believe like he he was he was interviewed and asked an honest question what about homosexual marriage and he says well personally I believe in, and I thought he used such a good word for it. I believe in natural marriage, biblical marriage. And there was such an uproar; people got offended at him because he made one little statement. So we we come from a culture that's ex, it, it, it's exceedingly offendable, but I'm afraid it has also uh, gotten uh, in, into the into the church. So we need to learn to grow thick skin. Uh, Jesus knew what he was talking about. The more Christ-like you are, the more opposition and hatred you will face. Paul had no opposition a week ago. Saul had no opposition a week ago. And all of a sudden, all he's guilty of is loving Jesus. Amen? And all of a sudden now, people are hating him, people are conspiring against him, and people are wanting to kill him. May I tell you that when you assert yourself as a child of God and you say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul, the sleeping devil who yesterday didn't give a whit about you because he had you right where he wanted you, he has awakened and he says, oh, no, you don't. And he begins to make your life as much like hell as he can. He begins to fight you in ways you never dreamed that you would need to defend yourself for Uh, about before just because you've said i agree with jesus i'm a sinner i need salvation i accept the lord's salvation and thank you jesus for being the lord of my life those words alone make a mountain of enemies for you from the devil and from all the people who tacitly willingly uh, you know take their marching orders they don't even know it uh, from him The more Christ-like you are, the more opposition and hatred you'll face. It's not your fault. You've done nothing wrong. Yet society mocks you, throws stones at you. In Paul's case, they wanted to actually kill him. These are the people that just a week ago uh, were cheering him on. If you or I or Paul uh, need our egos stroked, being a Christian is going to be an uphill battle all the way. If you're going to be a Christian... Don't be a Christian thinking that this is going to be something that's going to stroke your ego all the way. You're going to have to learn to stand on your own two feet, get your center of balance, and just... Paul writes it this way in Ephesians. When you've done everything to stand, just stand. Sometimes that's all you can do is just stand because the world is not going to come around telling you how much they appreciate uh, your faith in Christ and your commitment to Him. It will be an uphill battle all the way if you're looking forward to people being thankful that you're a saved child of God. Uh, Saul was so soon realizing the fulfillment of his conversion prophecy prophecy, uh, back in verses 15 and 16, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, where where Jesus said, I have to tell, we were talking to Ananias, and he says, I have to show him how many things he must suffer. Let me find it in a second. I flipped it, John. Verses 15 and 16. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Jesus is speaking prophetically. In other words, this guy is going to get saved, and then he's going to have to suffer for my name. Well, you would have thought that maybe it would take a year or two to heat up to a boil, but it only took a few days, and he's already beginning to suffer, and people wanting to kill him for his name. I understand uh, this morning that this uh, that, that teaching this fact is not a, the touchy, feel-good, rich and blessed kind of message that the likes of which are very popular today, but I have to tell you, the world is spinning in the direction it's spinning, and as time passes, things are going to get worse, a lot worse, before they get better. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, uh, This is a tough thing for the coach to tell the team. The world's going to hate us more, and not less. We're not get to the point. We're not going to get ourselves to the point as the bride of Christ, where the world says, "Oh, we're just so thankful the bride of Christ is here." There's going to be a great falling away and a great persecution that comes, and I, and, and I'm duty bound to remind you about that. to, to be sober about that. Determine now, in the comfort of your home, and the safety of your church, determine today that when you are persecuted, whether it's someone that's whispering something about you, whether it's someone that's invented a bald-faced lie about you that never even happened, I digress. I get nauseous when I watch political commercials and I know there are absolute bald-faced lies just spoken about another candidate. And, you know how much that must hurt that other candidate to know that they're just lying right through there. They just have made up something, total misrepresentation. But today I'm speaking to us. I'm not, sorry, uh, I'm not speaking to them. But determine today that when you're lied about, when someone whispers about you, or even a physical attack against you. Um, I should have thought this through before spontaneously right now, but I'm not sure I've ever been physically attacked for my faith. I'm trying to think back, and I'm not sure I ever have. Has anybody in the room, I'm just curious, been physically attacked for your faith? Like I said, it's a tough thing for a coach to tell the team, but I'm not sure that that's going to always be the case. I I, I think that, well, I've told you that I've seen videos, uh, I, 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 martyrdom is a big thing for me. Uh, I'm interested in it. I pray for Christians around the globe, and we're very blessed to live in the borders of the United States of America where, you know, martyrdom is hugely an exception to the rule you know I mean you know it just doesn't usually happen here at least not yet not until now but we need to make a commitment to ourselves and say if this was ever required of me I wonder if I could do it you know you always wonder things like that if a robber came in I wonder you know how I do it and the fact is we don't know you just don't know what you would do but we can sort of imagine what we might could do and try to tell yourself ahead of time this is what I might do And I would like to hope that if some, you know, as I think of this thought, you know, what would you do if someone said you're going to die right now uh, unless you uh, um, renounce the name of Christ? I sure hope that I would never renounce the name of Christ. If he's going to pull the trigger, he's going to pull the trigger. But, I, you know, I sure hope that's the case. I, well, whatever. I don't want to. Di- I don't get to digress three times. So I already digressed twice. So I'm not going to digress a third time. Great story, but I'm not tell you. So uh, I, I hope that's the decision I make. We at least have to make that decision up here and in our hearts. And hopefully, we'll never have to actually make that stand. But the point is, I have to ask you: Are you willing to be whispered about, lied against, and, and possibly even physically attacked? Maybe even death. Are you, are you willing to have that kind of thick skin for Christ that would be necessary to follow him all the way like that? Or, or is your relationship so fragile if the going gets a little tough and you hit the rapids in the river that, whoa, you begin to want to, uh, to bail out? Determine, uh, determine today uh, whom will serve and whom, if you're asked to, you'll die for. I, I close uh, this morning with a reminder of one of the first things I taught us when we began to study this book, Acts. It was, I, we spent a little time with that word witness. And I don't want to embarrass you or embarrass me with a in, in case you don't remember, but I told you what the word witness technically meant. Um, the word witness is not a Greek word that means witness like we think of witness. Like when you think of witness, you maybe think of someone... Yeah, That's a witness in a a courtroom. That's a witness. Or you think of a witness, someone who in a social setting shares his faith with someone else, being a a witness. I, I taught you a couple things about that word witness. The first thing I taught you was that in the book of Acts, what's interesting is the word witness isn't a verb. It's a noun. It's something you are, not something you do. And so we are witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, said the Lord. The second thing I taught us was uh, that the word witness doesn't mean witness, like I just talked about, like the guy in the courtroom or the guy, you know, letting his light so shine before men. It doesn't mean that. The word witness comes from the Greek word martero, which means to be a martyr. Actually, it would be just as legitimate in our English Bibles. Everywhere you see the word witness in the book of Acts to put the word martyr in the book of Acts. Because technically, that's where the word witness uh, comes from. It doesn't look like the word witness. Uh, It looks like the word martyr, someone willing to die for their faith. Paul got his up-and-comings right away Not long after he began uh, promoting Christ, those who never hated him before, not only hated him, but planned to kill him. He was in line already to be that witness, that martyr. You know, the Bible doesn't say, but church tradition says that, uh, well, all the disciples met a witness's death, a martyr's death. All the apostles did Paul, they say, uh, Christian history, not the Bible, but Christian history and Christian tradition, says that he was beheaded. The day probably came, and it usually does, just like in the movies. This is the way it went. Do you choose to, I mean, this is when you are eight seconds away from the sword coming down, you're given one more chance. Do you choose to renounce? In this case, it would be Jesus Christ, or do you choose to embrace it? And Paul wouldn't renounce it. And Paul, uh, according to Christian tradition, Christian history, uh, was beheaded for the cause of Christ. I ask us to look deep into our souls this morning. Uh, And I suppose I'm emphasizing the uh, whole idea of martyrdom in order to show you. Just how puny the little things that we in, we do incur, the little brush offs we get at the office, the little snide remarks that sometimes people say—that that that we sometimes can really want to pout about—that people would be so mean to us. This is nothing compared to way the way most of the, most much of the world gets treated when they take a stand for Christ. Nothing compared to the... Thousands and tens of thousands of people that were literal martyrs. So I say, uh, we'll thicken our skin and realize that uh, while we may not be asked to be beheaded for the cause of Christ, neither should we become dejected and sad and, and as though some strange thing has happened to us when we suffer from various uh, trials or tribulations. So as we look deep into our souls, uh, can we bear up under persecution and rejection, and uh, we can only imagine how we'd behave if some harder thing came our way? but I would, I would think that we would like to ahead of time make some sort of commitment to our own selves that if that comes, we don 't know what the future holds, you know Well, I already told you I was closing, and I already digressed twice. <laughs> Uh, I'll shut it and put it away, and I'll try my hardest just to. So I read Yahoo News and Drudge Report. I know that's just it's just news people, and they don't really know. Nobody knows, anyways. Nobody knows until it happens, and even then we ha- we don't interpret it right. But I guess Israel has had it to hear. I remember in February hearing that by April, they were going to do something. And they've been patient, they've been patient, they've been hoping that America would, you know, provide some sort of chicken hold on Iran to try it, but we're we're apparently not doing uh, what they'd like to see to, to help. You know, Iran's just telling everybody that they can, that they've got the means necessary. Out of one side of their mouth, they're saying we don't have and we're not trying to develop nuclear weapons. And out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying that we've got everything we need to annihilate Israel. I bring that up because, you know, we're very used to one week pouring into the next week, pouring into the next week. Life is going on as it goes on. Occasionally there's a personal blip, you know, our car breaks down, someone gets sick, whatever, but life goes on. But uh, I'm not old enough to know about this, but, you know, I'm sure people were living, and there was rumblings in the Pacific and rumblings in uh, Europe. But one Sunday morning, a harbor in Honolulu got bombed, and it changed everything for years to come in our country. And, you know, we think that next week is going to be a lot like this week. I have no idea that if... what would be the result in our lives if Israel took a proactive approach against Iran and bombed its nuclear places and... I guess what I'm saying is we we just need to be in touch with um, who we are as Christians and be ready to face whatever consequences. Make them. Next week may not look, next Sunday morning may not look a thing like this Sunday morning. And we just need to have our Holy Ghost seatbelts on and be ready that come what may, it might be terrible for us, it might be awful situations, but I'm unswerving in my faith. As for me. Yeah. This is just a coincidence, but I just now remembered. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's all I know. Come. I don't know if this is a Christian saying or a non Christian saying. Well, forgive me if it's non Christian, but come hell or high water, doesn't matter. I am going to serve the Lord. If it gets tough, it gets tough. If it gets terrible, it gets terrible. And you see why the importance of praise reports? Because every week after week after week, we're we're in a lap of luxury. Compared to the way things could be, we have a wonderful life. So it's important uh, to praise Him in the face of all the good times and to be ready, uh, prepared to even lay lay down our own lives if called upon, uh, if if things get that crazy. Amen. Father God, thank you for your word. And... um, Just ask that you'd seal it in our hearts. Help us to take it with us. The enemy would like to just come now like a bird and take, it, it would take the seeds away. I pray that it would allow them to tuck into the soil of our hearts. And you, oh God, germinate it and help it to grow and help us to develop and mature. so We could be more like you. Bless each one that's come out today. And again, I pray for those that aren't here. Watch over them. Keep them. Bring them back to us, we pray, at the right time.